On today's podcast, we have for you uh, a thought on the Chargers. After I actually went to an LA Chargers home game, that's a tough deal for them. A bunch of NBA preseason fun questions with Sarudi, life advice, and our pick for Thursday Night Football. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Before I get started on some of the NBA stuff that we want to do, just some of the fun topics before the season gets started, uh, I want to tell you about my experience recently. I finally made it to SoFi Stadium here in Los Angeles. Not that far away, but in LA, things can be far away. Um, but it was great. It was an awesome stadium. I know it seems weird, but like whenever there's a chance to go to one of the games, if it lands on a Sunday, it doesn't really work for me because then it takes me away from the rest of the games that we're watching. So we can do those big Monday podcasts. So I went to the Monday night game against Dallas, Chargers-Dallas. Uh, you know, the Chargers have now been in what kind of year three of like, man, I really like that talent. It's a good team. Herbert wasn't very good, by the way. Wasn't very good. Like, there's a couple throws every game. You feel like a guy's going to miss. He felt like he was missing more. And then seeing it live on some of the stuff, you're like, what's going on here? So to continue to monitor the Justin Herbert conversation, right? But I knew it wasn't great. I knew it wasn't a great home field advantage for the Los Angeles Chargers. I had no fucking idea how bad it was. That might be the worst setup for any pro franchise in this country in sports. Now, before you start listing off other places that aren't super passionate about the home team, you know, we, we could run through teams that don't have great local support. Uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays would come up, right? Watching playoff games, being like empty seats. I mean, that's been going on forever. The stadium's terrible. And it just continues to live there. You know, it still breaks my heart that Montreal doesn't have a baseball team because that city cared about the Expos. But there's something about the Canadian experience. Like once the strike happened and they were denied this amazing team, they just like, screw it. Like we're not interested in baseball anymore. They stuck to their guns. Like whenever I think about the fan ownership relationship, it's a lot like the CBAs where the owners are going to win the CBA. It's just a matter of how bad the players lose. Well, there's no real CBA for fans because 
you're not even really allowed to negotiate anything. And the fact is, we all care about this stuff so much, the owners know, and we're just going to lose little pieces here and there along the way. But the Expos fan base was like, no, no, we actually are going to do the thing that nobody does. We're going to stop caring about a sports franchise, and it will become untenable for them to continue to exist in Montreal. I do wonder if a couple decades later, they could figure that out and rekindle that passion. I would hope so, because... You know, Tampa's put together this incredible roster. They find a way to reinvent themselves every single year. They're competitive all the time on a lower budget. They're they're a miracle in baseball. But what the Chargers are experiencing, I cannot express how like rattling it must be to be on that team and it's third and seven, and you're in Dallas's red zone, and the place Sounds like LSU on a Saturday night. There's a lot of NFL stadiums that you go to and be like, all right, this can be a little little bit of a letdown. I clearly like the Saturday experience in a stadium more than I do the Sunday experience. Uh, Both can be really rowdy. The NFL gets kind of weird rowdy. I don't know if it's the Cowboys fan element because that'd be unfair to just them. There's other fan bases too that are pretty rowdy. But like walking through there, because I did a whole lap of the whole place in SoFi, you're like, man, is this place about to become unhinged? And then, of course, there's the handful of fights that you see on social media after any of the football games, if you're looking for it. So there's that part of it, but that's not even that's that's not specific to what I saw on Monday night. The number of times where it was Dallas needing a big defensive stop, and you would have thought you were in Dallas, like if you didn't know and you were in the stadium, I cannot emphasize enough how loud it was. They're playing 17 road games. And yet, because the NFL is a television business before it's an attendance business, which is a massive departure for how sports kind of started out, you know, it's becoming like a real viable thing 100 years ago. Reading about baseball owners when radio became commonplace and baseball owners are like, why are we doing this? We're going to ruin our our attendance. You know, vendors are going to be hit because people are going to stay at home and listen on the radio. They actually thought radio was bad for business. And then the evolution of things and we adapt and there's more people and none of that really matters. But for the NFL, it isn't about the stadium experience, really. I mean, it's cool when the owners can build these palaces and they have the highest upgrades and the newest technology and all the different stuff that goes into building these places. Be like, oh, you can even do this when you're at the stadium. And to be fair, too, like I've been to Saints games where it feels awesome, right? It's for whatever reason, the intimacy of the Superdome, which doesn't seem like it would make any sense for the way it's been built, but it just works. It works in there and it's Louisiana. It's all mixed up and, and it seems to feel a little bit more intense in a in a college way. And look, I haven't been to Green Bay. I'm sure Kansas City's terrific. So I don't want to just start feeling like I'm leaving out awesome NFL experiences because I haven't been to them, but I, I'm aware that they exist. But what I'm telling you, what isn't an awesome NFL experience is to be on the Los Angeles Chargers and play your home games in a stadium that's actually another franchise's stadium. And it feels like when you're at the games, everybody takes a trip to LA to root on the visiting team. Because if you really run through it, like who has a worse situation than Chargers? Hell, I, I still think I slip up and say San Diego like three or four times a season. San Diego shouldn't have lost these guys. All right. I know that the history with the ownership and the stadium and all these different things, and it's like when an owner can't actually get a stadium, you're like, wait, aren't you just supposed to just give us one of these? Like, what the hell's the deal here? Um, 
And to the Rams' credit, like they did a lot of this on their own in comparison to other stadiums that are built. But think of this. The Rams come back to town, and there's plenty of Rams jokes about how important or not important they are in the hierarchy of L.A. sports. The Lakers thing is SEC football. It's Yankees, Red Sox. It's 365. It's as intense as anything I've seen in this country when it comes to pro sports. The Lakers thing is very real. The Dodgers thing is very real. And they have a real reason, despite the playoff disappointment uh, of this year, to continue to feel excited about not only a great franchise, the history, the stadium, all of it. It's all awesome. The Kings thing is incredible. Um, there's there's a real like kind of the hockey ownership of fan fandom is is kind of cool and unique in its own way. You feel like, yeah, I'm actually more of a Kings guy than I am Lakers or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's that in Boston with the Bruins, the whole thing. Chicago, same deal. You get it. The, those of you that are hockey fans that are in hockey towns. So the Rams have their own issues and it's a city they already have history. The Chargers didn't even start here until the stadium was done, and now they're here. And whatever Rams problems there are, multiply those by 100 for the Chargers because then whatever Rams jokes there are, the Chargers jokes, they just stop making them. They're not even in their own stadium. And when they're playing at home, it feels like everyone is rooting for the other team. I left that game still confused about the Chargers and the talent and the lack of wins. But it's not, I would never go as far as to say like, hey, you know, the Chargers aren't as good as we all think they are because of the stadium setup, but it's not helping. It's not helping. I would challenge you to think of something based on that timeline of, hey, LA, which still is a little football challenged, is not going to get one, but they're going to get two. And the second franchise is going to be from San Diego. And yes, I'm sure there's some of you that are still San Diego Chargers fans, right? Get it? That, that drive up for a couple games. You love your team. You've loved them forever. You can't quit them. You can't divorce them, even though they divorced you. And I give you credit. I commend you for still being able to do that. But if you're a player on that team, and there are bad franchises, there are bad owners, they are there are bad situations in all the four major sports, but nothing's worse than this. And seeing it live and feeling it, it completely changes. It's not like, oh, this is why they aren't good. I'm not, I'm not going that far with it. I'm not, I'm not going to reach for that conclusion of all of it. I'm just telling you it sucks. Get ready to start the NFL week off right because right now all customers can get a no sweat same game parlay for Thursday night football. Just place a three leg same game parlay on this week's game between Jacksonville and New Orleans and you'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. Okay, I like Jacksonville plus the one and a half, but there's a same game parlay uh, on FanDuel right now, which is pretty sweet if you like Jacksonville in this game. Now, we know that New Orleans offensively is 26th in yards per play. The defense has been really good. Um, but, I mean, look, New Orleans is 4.6 yards per play. New England's 4.5. And, like, New Orleans is actually supposed to be better. Um, so if you like Jacksonville in this one, and then you like Travis Etienne to get into the end zone, he, he had one touchdown his first four weeks. He's had four in the last two weeks. So you go same game parlay. Uh, Jacksonville, Etienne into the end zone. And then Kamara, who's had 41 touches the last two weeks. He's only played three games. The numbers overall are down. Yards per carry down. So basically, the parlay is Jacksonville, ETN in the end zone, and then Kamara. That's going to pay out over 10 to 1. 
So that's a really good value if you like Jacksonville and with the way both running backs are trending up. I mean, it's, I know it's tough to always try to get everybody that you want to get into the end zone, but in this case, you're only looking for two guys, one guy that's been scoring a ton. And if you like the Jacksonville side of it, $10 down, 10 plus times payout, that's pretty good. Build your own or choose from one of the popular same-game parlays in the Parlay Hub. That's the top one in the Parlay Hub. On FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app, visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, so you don't miss out on your chance to get a no-sweat same-game parlay on America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 and older and present in select states. Refund issued with non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like you should gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Before the season gets started in the NBA and uh, check out me, Bill, House. We did a massive, massive over-unders NBA preview pod. I think it's in three parts. So we taped that one on Monday, and they've all all the parts are out now. So I'll retweet those uh, at Ryan A. Rosillo on X. So let's uh, let's bring in Saruti. Let's have some fun with this. We're just going to want to throw around a bunch of questions here. Um, there's there's kind of like there's not a great title for this other than just NBA preview fun stuff. So yeah, yeah just stuff because I, I love these my questions. Right. I love all these debates. So, all right, Saruti, lead the way here. Yeah. So, you know, we, we did last year. I think we did it early last year, not before the season, but like in the early part of the NBA season. We, we just like pinned two players against the, each other and said, hey, which one would you rather have right now? And I, I think the biggest disagreement last year, there's a breakout video about it, was uh, Booker versus Tatum. And I think, you know, I know you I know you have a little on it. I don't have that again this year because I think we I, I don't know if we've moved off of our positions. Maybe we have. But I've got a bunch of sort of would you rather have this guy or this guy for this year than this year alone? Um, and then I've got a couple like foreseeable future questions. Some of those involve Wemby. Some of those involve like some of the young guys that haven't quite clicked yet. And then I've got one wild card question as well. And then we got some I think we're going to do some duo stuff, um, potentially some league pass, like who we want to watch on league pass and all that. So. I guess where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the just like the pinning two guys against each other? Do you have do you want to do you want to mention anything about Booker versus Tatum again? Because that was the big one last year. Um, I do want to mention something about it, but I don't think we need to lead with it. All right. Um, I'll I'll explain it later because I I ran through a bunch of numbers again this morning, and basically there's like a couple different opinions that I feel like I'm on an NBA island. But the way this works, if we do a breakout video of me saying like, "Hey, why are we doing this?" Then I immediately it's like, "Oh." Fair you think this guy sucks? It's like, nope, I don't think he sucks. But I do have a couple players. There's the Tatum-Booker thing, and then there's a bit of an SGA thing where I feel like I'm on my own. 
And I might be wrong about both, by the way, but uh, I don't want to make those like the headline or breakout things because then it, it yeah. takes on this weird ownership that may not even be, it's you saying it, it's your show. And then the way the breakout lives outside of all the other stuff that you said, I don't even want to do that because I know I still actually might be wrong. And yeah. you know, we'll get to whatever conclusion I'm trying to filter through my head here anyway. All right. So Let's, all right, let's, let's just go with then. what you have. Yeah, all right. All right, so th again, these are just like in my... So I've been looking at all the... ESPN had the rankings. I saw CBS had rankings, like at Bleacher. They, everybody does the... the Dude's got rankings. We, we do them. We have the... the I was looking at right. it last night, the Ringer. I think Michael Pina put that out. Um, I, don't, I think it was voted on by a bunch of people, but I saw Pina retweeted it. So basically, like, I'm just going to throw two players at you and you tell me who'd you rather have. This is the first one. This one I thought was interesting. It's like two old heads who obviously are former teammates. Kind of totally different vibes, but would you rather have Steph Curry... Or Kevin Durant. Now, this is regular season and playoffs, and I'm I'm just gonna assume they're healthy. I don't want to I don't want to talk about injuries. I just assuming they're healthy for the whole season in the playoffs. You get one guy, Curry or Durant. Who are you taking? So yeah, that's that's the key here. Because if it was the rest of the way, you'd pick Curry because of Durant's injury history, which I know you don't want to do injuries, but I think it can even gonna play into some of the guys for just a year. Uh, I think it's the first time where you can actually feel like saying Steph's the better player is okay because even through all the Steph love everybody knew Durant at his peak was was probably the better player than Steph but now that I look back on it I'm like is that even true because Steph had to defer more you know you go through those finals runs where it was ridiculous and Durant you know Durant got to kind of take it to another level there but right now I I think I'm going to go Steph I think I'm going to go Steph because despite me expecting Durant and Phoenix to be real. I don't know if the regular season is going to be this amazing run for them. Um, there's still kind of a bad taste in my mouth a bit from the the playoff series against Denver. So I, I want there just to be more cohesion. I want I want everybody to kind of understand their roles a little bit more. And I think they're going to have to figure it out with three dominant on-ball guys, with Beal being the third one there. Where with Steph, I know exactly what I'm getting. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Even if peak Durant, the, the feeling could be that it's still... I don't know. It feels weird saying it now in 23, 24, that peak Duran is still better than peak Steph. But I understand that position four and well, five and six years ago. Yeah, I think Bill asked in, in the in the over unders pod you guys did, like, would you go over under 18 months of Durant being Durant? I think we're really at that point where is he is he? The, I mean, you and I were pretty much on Durant Island like two years ago. I think before the Bucks it was before the Bucks title, I believe. We're like, no, I think KD's still the best player in the league. And I think I, I don't think you could say that. You definitely can't say that anymore. And it does, it just does feel like this, there's like some drop off there where Curry, I don't feel like the drop off's as big. So I I think you're right. I think it is Curry. Isn't it crazy though to think like, you know, Curry's gonna go down as the better player. He's got more rings. He's, you know, all time. He's gonna he's just gonna be higher than Durant. But at the peak of their powers, like Durant was the guy. It's that it, it's it's such a strange sort of situation. Like Durant is such a freaking unicorn so that's why I, i'm just hesitant because like if durant is durant he's maybe the most terrifying guy you know in the league still offensively well right i mean the Giannis belt was was taken from durant i was reluctant to give it up as as quick as i should have um i don't feel bad about that one looking back on it there's other ones where you're like wow i can't believe i thought that but yeah when the all-time stuff is done steph's at this point, going to have the better resume. But I also think Steph, there's there's more to Steph than just his numbers. There's there's just something about having him on your side yeah. where it's it's steadier. And look, Durant had to go to him. You know, Steph Steph had had two really nice years without him before he got there. And that, unfortunately for Durant, 
you know, I know it drives him crazy and he tries to pretend it doesn't matter to him at all. But uh, yeah, I'd take Steph for the year in the playoffs. All right, next one. I, w- I want to test uh, how bad that Mavs and Luka season was and where we, where, where we, where we view Luka now. Luka or Booker? Okay, well, we know that I, I feel like I'm the Booker guy now uh, because of the Tatum arguments. And you're right, CBS, ESPN, Ringer, like every single place that has a ranking out, I never see Booker higher than Tatum. So then I'm like, wait, am I am I wrong on this one? So if we keep it specific to Luca here, uh, the Luke, the anti-Luca shift is happening. It's it's coming off of last year, the unexpected Western Conference Finals run, which I really like. Like if you're if you're a top five guy, you have to be able to kind of carry your team. Um, doesn't mean you have to win a title because nobody can do it by themselves, but you have to be the number one guy on a team that ha- makes some real noise in the playoffs for me to like look at that list and go, okay, the top five guys could all do that. And Luca did it. Luca did it in the Western Conference Finals. So um, as much as I love Booker, I still think there's a Luca element where you need to bail us out of all these bad possessions and, and Luca can do it. Uh, in a way that that we've seen very like what he did against the Clippers those back to back years and his you know look it's not like Booker doesn't have some awesome playoff resume stuff as well but I'd give the slight edge to look Luca and I th- I think it's like the first time there's a little bit of like public negative momentum around Luca going into this year. What about Luca or Embiid? Uh, I'm going to say Luca because I'd rather have a dominant guy with the ball in his hands than a big guy. And Jokic is not categorized as a big guy, even though he is. Yeah, (laughs) he doesn't count. Like if he's your point guard, but he's also your center, that's not the traditional big. And I think that's part of Embiid's problem um, for somebody who feels like he doesn't have, I know I brought this up probably too many times, but it's kind of a compliment to Embiid that there just doesn't seem, maybe it's happening more in Philly, but hey, can you actually win with this guy? It would happen to other players with Embiid's profile more often and with more venom than it does with him, which, you know, again, I'm not rooting for like, hey, we need to shit on this guy more, which is something I always like bringing up. But um, yeah, I mean, Luca, he's going to find a way to get the hoop or get a really good look. There's there's multiple things he's going to be able to do with the ball. So Luca's comfortably still like a top four player for you. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. yeah but I don't, I, I don't love when it's like off the charts usage rate stuff. Like I've done the history on that. Some people it works, some people it doesn't. But I, d- I don't know how you can win a title being that dependent on one person having the ball all the time. And I know that they're supposed to have Kyrie and they'll split it up and we'll see the better version of this, but we'll see. I have another provocative uh, Luca question coming, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, all right, this one, this one, I sort of wrote him off, uh, I think, beginning of last year and was probably wrong. Uh, what about AD or Embiid? One season. I want to test the the Embiid thing. Coming off the MVP, because it does, it does still feel like, you know, we talked about this, about how, I don't know how you could possibly still, even though Embiid won the MVP, think that he's better than Jokic. Uh, we talked about that a couple pods ago. But the AD resurgence has been there. And I think, you know, we had a guy who said he was the best center in the league in the GM survey. Like, I, it, it's just, I think it's an interesting debate again. Yeah, that it's interesting is remarkable for AD, but because everybody, you know, was writing him off. And the funny thing is, I feel like I defended him longer than than most. And then I finally kept watching him fall down all the time going. And it wasn't that I thought he was going to be a bad player. I was like, I just expect him to be hurt again. I just expect that he's going to be hurt. 
Uh, Embiid's story is pretty crazy when you think of a guy that big with the health issues and then not playing a game for two years. But we also realized that was part of Hinky's design um, that he's been for the most part. Well, look, for me personally, he's been way more uh, consistent health wise than I thought he would be with with how scary some of the pre-draft stuff was. And then, you know, but whatever, with another organization, he probably would have played at some point. Then he barely played even in the third year. So, um, man, I, I still think it has to be Embiid because he feels more like a known thing despite the AD resurgence. I, now, I never would have a few years ago. I still would have been AD, AD all the time. But um, nice little resurgent run here for AD. I'm glad that he's actually back in these conversations, but I can't have so much momentum for him. I mean, where are you on it? So correct me if I'm wrong. Both guys have gotten to the second round on their own, never made a conference final on their own. Um, Embiid obviously has the MVP. I would give the slight edge to Embiid still. I don't really love either of them like as the guy. Like I just, I just, I, there's... I'm just not going to pick the Sixers with an Embiid-led Sixers team against Boston or Milwaukee, really, ever. I just have to see it to believe it. And I think without, we've talked about this many times, without LeBron, like, I, I don't, it just feels like AD kind of is more comfortable being second fiddle, at, even as much as LeBron wants to say he's the number one option. And there maybe there are at times, but I think you have to still give the credit to Embiid. He won the MVP last year. His stats are incredible. He's in, like, kind of a terrible situation in Philly with the Harden stuff. Like, I don't think that roster is that awesome um and yes he's had some playoff shortcomings obviously but I think I don't know I think he's just more of like an alpha like I know that's kind of like a <laughs> stupid thing to say but I think like he's he's like give me the damn ball where I think AD sometimes shies away from that so I'll slightly give the edge to Embiid yeah I don't I don't think you're wrong on that at all and the funny thing is I'm like thinking back to like could this be the year with Embiid like if he doesn't get out of the second round where people start going like yeah cool stats he's probably not going to MVP like, but like, yeah you know what's funny, though, about it is that the real reason why is like we only have so much time for stuff. And because the Philly, like their entire organization has had two major problems that aren't Embiid problems, that those have been the headlines. The Ben Simmons thing went on forever. The Harden thing's now going on for a while. So he's been able to kind of draft behind more of the negative attention being on his teammates not being able to get their stuff together. Yeah, which I think is fair. Um, all right, let's do a couple more quick. This one's near and dear to my heart. And uh, I was surprised to hear Bill on the over-unders pod. He was selling some real estate on Mobley Island. And I've just been saying, I like Mobley, but I just think we've specifically Bill's <laughs> has been insane about like what he's talking. You know, he's talking that he's the next Kevin Garnett and all this stuff. I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I think he's in a, a pretty great situation for what his skill set is. So I want to do Evan Mobley versus my guy, Franz Wagner. For one year, I'll take Franz because he's better... He's better at giving me something like, hey, I know what I'm getting. And maybe this is the year with Mobley. I mean, he's only two years in, okay? Maybe this is the year with Mobley where we see something offensively where you're like, okay, that's a real problem. Because right now it's all, it's all complimentary stuff. Like, yes, he has his moments. He had that one regular season game where I was like, okay, this is happening. And some of his instincts are incredible. Some of the passing stuff that he does just the way he moves his footwork, and then you throw in the defensive stuff. So if you're telling me, if you're offering me Franz for Mobley and I'm Cleveland, I'm probably still saying no. But for one season and the playoffs right now, Franz is so much more of a finished offensive product. Yeah, and again, I, I can get called a homer, but I just think, you know, if you're saying, 
I think one of those guys you can give the ball to in crunch time and feel pretty good about yourself. I think the other one is going to struggle to create offense for himself. And I hate to say it, but like, you know, Mobley just feels like an awesome two. Like, and and like, unless he sort of figures out more offensive moves or, you know, is a little bit more assertive. The other thing too is, and this isn't even really like a knock on him, but I just think he was drafted into an incredible situation. He's he he gets to play with these two really dynamic guards, and I know he didn't he hasn't had Mitchell for both years, but he has Mitchell now, and he gets to play next to to Jared Allen, who is also an incredible you know rim presence defensive player. So Mobley can like do all these really specific things and kind of be this sort of uh, Swiss Army knife defensively, and he's incredible. But I ju- I just think you know if you put that guy and gave him his own franchise and said, hey, here's a bunch of you know you know B minus C players around you, and you're the guy. I don't. Are we still are we still putting Mobley in you know that like next that quote unquote future star category? I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know the thing is is like opportunity too. Like there's certain players that put up numbers. So if he was on a worse team, he might have better overall numbers. But it doesn't mean That's anything fair. about him being a better player. And I forget who it was. It wasn't an NBA team. I think it was a trainer. And he had hit me up like a year ago. I was like, what is wrong with you guys with Mobley? And I was like, well, look. I go. Are you talking about what I'm saying about him or what Bill's saying about him? He was like, you guys are way too high on him. And the stuff he was saying like was really specific. And he was, you know, he's a trainer for other NBA players. And uh, it was it was like alarming. It was a little alarming for somebody that's like in the gym with all of these guys all the time. And he was kind of like, yeah, I don't I don't really see it the way you guys do with Mobley, um, and again, I was like, I don't, I don't think I compared him to Duncan. And the funny thing about him being a two, like you could argue Garnett was better off being a two offensively, despite how incredible he was. But his personality was still a deferring personality. Yeah. But he also was essentially like he could play point guard, it felt like at times. And that's not what you're saying with Mobley, despite some of the passes that he makes. And I'm like, this guy is is another level for a big. But yeah, this is feeling like a bit of a prove-it year for Everyone still wants Evan Mobley on their team, okay? Totally. But it's this it's the idea of you know, should he have been the number 1 pick? Like can you build your team around him? And then it gets back to kind of some of the perimeter big stuff that I think we've all moved towards the direction of just give me the guy with the ball more so than somebody else that has to be set up with the ball because it's just not the way the game is played anymore. All right, let's do two more real quick uh of the of the either or. Uh Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell? So I would never would have picked Murray prior to this year. Murray's the pick now. Um, I wasn't sure if Murray was in that elite tier. Um, you know, and the health thing completely derailed any of the momentum that he had had. And now with the ring and everything, you know, he's in he's in that group. You know, I'm not going to put him ahead of Steph or something ridiculous like that. But um, he's in that group that he's sought for a while and, and good for him. Mitchell, I've always felt like is is more dynamic. You know, maybe it's your eyes falling in love with the visual of, of Mitchell at his best versus Murray because it just looks cooler when Mitchell's going. Mitchell has always had a little sliver of of this concerning element to his game where it gets a little Westbrooky, where he's like, all right, I'm just gonna force the issue here. I would I would ask this though. Like Murray can't ever have situations where he's forcing the issue and making ridiculous decisions because one of the best decision makers we've ever seen is his teammate and the best player in the world. So Murray never has to really be in those situations because they're probably still going to get a really good possession because of what Jokic is. So if Murray were on a bad team completely by himself, like, yeah, he'd put up a ton of numbers. But I think Mitchell with Jokic 
even though he might be more stubborn than Murray because he didn't kind of grow up with Jokic the way Murray has in his NBA career, you wouldn't. I would expect that you wouldn't have to see Mitchell have those games where he can't hit a shot, he's making bad decisions because he's just forcing the issue because he's used to his talent and his his athleticism getting him out of of any of the problems. Like he'll force the issue a little bit more, but the way Denver runs their offense, they don't have to force as much because they're just really they're locked in. Their offense is good. The stuff that they do, they're always going to get a good look. And Mitchell hasn't ever played with a guy like that. So I think if you put Mitchell in Denver, you'd see a more efficient, a better decision-making version of the one that kind of scares me at times, even though I really like him. I know he sucked coming off the playoffs and the whole deal there. So I'll say Murray with that excuse. All right, last uh, last either or. This is a this is a, a duo's one. <laughs> Would you rather have one season, this season, Luka and Kyrie or Embiid and Harden? Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh probably Harden and Embiid because Harden needs to get paid and Kyrie got paid. Uh, I think I'd go the other way. <laughs> and I and I hate it, but I think I think I would go the other way. I would just yeah. want Luca. Yeah, that's fine. Like I, I got, mean, that's, if I could just get like I'm basically just taking one guy, give me Luca. I don't know. When you have to pay Kyrie because you're worried about him being like, like, hey, if we pay him what his market would actually pay him, which would be below what we're going to pay him, you know, then it could be a real problem. It's like, okay, say that out loud again. Yep. <laughs> say, say what you just said. <laughs> say it out loud to yourself again. And then ask if you think this is a good idea. All right, a couple more here. Let's do these rapid fire. We're changing categories here. This is going to be like the foreseeable future categories. So this is like, you know, Let's hypothetical situation for the next like two, three, four, five, ten years, whatever. Couple Wembanyama related ones. Would you rather have Wembanyama or the entire OKC roster, not including the draft capital? The goal is to have a player. You hope at some point that is one of those five guys who would be the number one on a team that's at least competing to be in the NBA Finals. And really, that list probably isn't even as long as as five in the moment it's actually happening. And the idea is that Wembanyama can actually be that guy, right? So. I think it becomes a Shea Gilders Alexander question because I'm on two different islands. The one is the Booker over Tatum thing, which we can run through those at the end if you want me to. And then is Shea Gilders Alexander this unimpeachable top 10 player in the NBA? And the reality is, is that when I look at all of these rankings, I don't like when it's like, I can't believe you guys, you had this guy 41 and then this guy 36. Like, who gives a shit? You know, like a lot of it's momentum. Some of it's a little too reactionary with this one. But if you look at Gilders Alexander's numbers, he was 31 a game last year on 11 free throw attempts. And the weird thing with him when I watch him, Srudy, his free throw attempt thing is strictly because of his skill. Other guys are officiated where it's really annoying. I don't find it that way with him. He His, his finishing package isn't what Kyrie's is. It's not as dynamic as Anthony Edwards or even a Donovan Mitchell and some of the other more like just ferocious finishers. But what he's so good at is getting you in a bad spot as a defender. He gets you deep into the rim, deep into the restricted area, and then he'll kind of take off one foot where actually is slower than the way he can actually move. Because I remember watching him live for the first time was like, holy shit, this guy floats around the court. Like, this guy is incredible. So whenever I push back on like, hey, is he actually top 10? Um it sounds like I don't really like him, and that's just not the case. The free throw part of his game, his free throw rate last season was at 54%. 
So his usage rate, despite being like, we can already picture when you watch OKC running their offense, how often he has the ball, his usage stuff isn't as egregious as other players. You know, Westbrook has the all-time year with 42%, the MVP season. Kobe's highest was like 39%. You know, Giannis was number one last year, 37 But, you know, his usage for Shea Gilders Alexander was only like 33%, which, you know, I think was eighth in the league or something like that. So it becomes that conversation. And even the best version of Shea, I don't think you would still think it was it would be Wimbanyama, but they have enough things around it where you feel like you're actually building towards something where it would be better to keep their roster. I'll say their roster. I know that was way too long, but I'll say their roster. And honestly, if you're going through it, like who says no to Wimbanyama for the roster? Denver says no. Boston says yep. no. Milwaukee says no. Golden State would say, hey, we're going to ride out the rest of this yep. thing. They would say no. OKC, OKC might be on the no list. I would listen to an argument against what I just said because the idea is the one player is still more important than all the other little pieces you have. But it really becomes like, who do you think Shea Gildress Alexander is going to be? Is he going to be in three years part of the, you know, when it was Curry, Durant, Giannis, Jokic, LeBron, that kind of thing. And it still feels a little quick for me to see his ceiling be there, but it feels like more people are are, are heading in that direction as I maybe resisted a little bit of seeing him in everyone's top 10 thinking like, do you think he's actually going to be a top five guy? Because if you do, then you definitely say no to the Wembenyama offer. So that's a very thorough answer, but there it is. Of all the non-contending teams, yeah, I think OKC is the one that says we'll take our our setup. Any other no's for you? Um, I think I mean, Philly would it. say yes. Right? Philly would say yes. Uh, you know, Phoenix. <laughs> Did we say Phoenix? Did you say Phoenix? Phoenix might say no. No, because there, there's also another no. element. What's that? They would say no, because they still have Booker. Like that, yeah. I, I, I think there's a window here for you know at least hopefully two years. Uh, that's probably it. Okay, I um, like the question right. though. Love the question. Uh, I don't know if you like this one or not. Would you rather have Wemby going forward, or in an alternate hypothetical universe, a dedicated in shape Zion Williams? Which guy is like the better guy to build around? I do like this question, actually, and I think it's really easy because it's Wembenyama. So even a healthy Zion, we know what he has in him, <laughs> meaning you seem to not respect the opportunity enough. And but I'm saying, like, know, if you look, get like if you get like happy Duke Zion, where like things are, and like you know things are going well, or like the Zion that dominated the league for like what was it, 20 games, <laughs> and everyone's like, holy <laughs> shit. Uh, I don't know. I think is it. I kind of feel like it's closer than just saying no. It's definitely Wemby because that was. But stupid. then you're. But, but then you're asking me to imagine a world where the Zion personality is like perfect because so far, and again, it's early here with Wembenyama. This guy's incredible. Like the the way he carries himself, the way he answers these questions. That that thing he did with Winhorst, the way. You know, he is looking at this as like, I have this once in a lifetime opportunity, so I need to maximize me being a professional. That's why San Antonio probably was the best fit as far as like long-term bet of of it all working out. And look, I still think he's going to get hurt, but I can't imagine a world where, yeah, it's healthy Zion, but so no, I, I don't, it's right. not hard for, it's not hard for me despite me still uh, holding out hope we're going to get one. All I'm asking for is like, one healthy distraction-free Zion season. That's all I'm asking. I just want one. That's all we're asking for. I just, just want one. Of them. Um, 
I have four things really. Let's do these really quickly. We'll, let's save the duos and uh, maybe like the big three talk and whatever. But we can let's do, do the big three time. later, right? Because Saruni and I want to do this. How many teams can actually say we have a big three? Because it's an endangered species, especially yeah. after I, I think like Bleacher that. Report did their top fifty ever, and like Corver was in one of them. Love I love that article. Yeah. I, I reference that article <laughs> twice a year. So, yeah. all right, this is. Uh, Maybe this one's an easy one too, but I don't know. Everybody loves Anthony Edwards. He had an incredible summer. You know, he's the next, uh -oh. he's the starboard, uh -oh. quote unquote. Would you rather have him as the center of your, uh, you're building around a franchise and you're setting stuff up for you know, the next five, 10 years? Ant Edwards or SGA? Is it, is it, is it close? It is for me. I'd rather have Ant. I know everybody's going to say I'm wrong. I think I'd rather have SGA. More will agree with you. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, this is the one. This is the one I love, near and dear to my heart. So if we're gonna say, I think Franz is the best player of the, of the 2021 draft. I think Mobley's probably two. Um, but there's a lot of guys that are kind of like TBD or like you know in the mix that we like or whatever. So I'm gonna throw four guys at you, and you tell me which ones you would want to build around: uh, Cade, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes, or Josh Giddy. So when I answer this question, the only way I'm going to answer it is who has the actual chance to be a number one on a good team? And for all my Scotty Barnes love, he's a complimentary player. The best version of him is still going to be a complimentary player. Um, I think we all love Giddy, but would Giddy in any world ever be the best player on, and I'm not even talking about a championship team. I'm talking like a pretty good team, 48, 50 wins. Would it be Giddy? I mean, maybe. Uh, Jalen Green, Ooh. a little early for that. Cade, to me, is the only one, the only option out of this where I was like, I could see Cade being the best player on a pretty good team. Now, if you want to use the injury thing against me, it was significant enough for him to sit out the entire year. Uh, but I, I like Cade, and Cade's my answer. I've sold none of my Cade stock, and I think uh, 15 to 1 for combat. What is it? Uh, most improved player? I think, I think, uh, I think he's going to have a nice year, assuming he stays healthy. All right, uh, two more. Would you rather have Chet Holmgren or Scoot Henderson battle the number two picks the last couple of years? I'm going to go Scoot. But you're right. Chet's been completely overlooked. Like when we were doing the Wembenyama thing, like, you know, they have Chet too, right? When I can't going. wait to watch him this year. I cannot wait. I'm with you. I, I can't wait, but I'll, uh, I can't do that to my guy Scoot before he's even played in the game. I know Chet I think hasn't you're right. played either, but. I think you're right. I think Scoot's the answer, but man, I just. I think Chet, <laughs> I think I'd rather watch Chet, uh, even if he's in like a complimentary role where Scoot's going to have the ball all the time. Uh, all right, last one. This is, uh, you know, the the disgruntled league. And I think both of these guys have fair gripes uh, with their organization. So I want to ask you, the next, you know, two, three, four, five, six months, maybe even a year, who would be more justified in asking for a trade, Luca or Embiid? <laughs> oh, man. Um So it would be the reaction, the public reaction, where there are certain trade requests where you're like, okay, I kind of get this one. Yeah. And then there's others where you're like, are you serious? Um, I think after the Simmons-Harden drama and Bede, where he's been in the league now, what? He's played seven seasons. He's been in the league nine. I just think the longevity part of it were for Luka... Unless you're going to hit me with the, well, they went and got Kyrie. And if Kyrie has like a weird Kyrie season, which is certainly on the table, um, 
could Luca have more of a beef with the front office for doing that? I'd also have to know like to what level Luca signed off on the Kyrie thing. He had to have enough, you know, like if he was like, I want nothing to do with this guy, then they would have eaten the resources. So I think he's a little culpable in the whole thing. And I'm sure at some point Embiid loved the idea of having Harden too. So, uh, I think people would have more sympathy. I think there'd be less negative reaction to a trade request from Embiid than there would be Doncic because they would just package all the Simmons Harden stuff together where the Kyrie stuff hasn't really just hasn't been an issue yet. If it would I uh I, I'm just gonna do it selfishly from like who how would I react to it? I think the Mavs suck. I think they're I think they have bad players. I think they have been one of the worst organizations that have uh, Bill kind of touched on this in in the uh, over under spot. I just think they've been run terribly and they don't have a lot of great players. So I think you're right. Like Embiid has had to deal with Harden and Simmons and all that crap. But I still think the Sixers like have some nice, like Maxi's still a nice player. Like I think they've made some nice moves. They've got some guys. I just, I can't believe how bad this Mavs team is around Luka. You've had, you've had years to build something and you've got nothing. You've got Kyrie Irving. That's insane to me. So I actually think it would be Luka. I might've played the longevity thing too much because the way you just mapped it out, Look, they haven't they haven't done a good job, but they were a weird build around Luca because you know and this will be part of the Luca story if there's no playoff success the next two or three years if he moves on. Like I already know what the conversation is, and the conversation may be accurate about it too. It could be okay, but what do you do with Luca? The same way you looked at like what do you actually do with Harden? Because if you're telling me okay, you're going to come in here, but you're never going to have the ball in your hands, so that means I need shooters, I need multiple defenders, but then I need some sort of big option that I can play five out or I can match up with another team. Cause like in this, this rush to never have any good centers, like you still need somebody. If you're going to be going up against Anthony Davis, you're still going to need somebody physically imposing enough to just restrict some of Jokic's movements. You're not going to prevent him from 30 points and a bunch of assists. He's going to get it, but you need to make those possessions harder on him. So I think you'd need some multiple option big where it's like, if we need to play big and more traditional, we at least have somebody who can size match with somebody else. And they, you're right. They haven't gotten a lot of it right, even though like there's a couple picks that I sort of like. But again, they moved Dorian Finney-Smith in that in that Kyrie thing, where it's like as soon as he was traded, it's it's kind of like other teams are calling to be like, oh wait, can we pick this guy off because he's just a really nice role player? So it's going to come down to a lot to like how much is Luca willing to change what he's doing, knowing that you know despite how ball dominant it is, and we've already touched on this before when we talked about the usage rate stuff. Uh, he would have to get to a point where it's like, I need to maybe adjust to what I'm doing a little bit. And it's going to get nasty for him. It's going to get nasty for him if the only playoff success is that blip where it was against the Warriors when really they didn't have any chance. All right. That's it. Good stuff. That's talking ball. <laughs> That's uh, hump day hoops for you. We'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore. 
yoga class, that just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out and out. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Ryan. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice email. Life advice rr at gmail.com. What's good to both Steve and Kyle? Yo. Right. Chilling. Was it uh, Wednesday in LA? Been out uh, on the West Coast this whole week in for Bill's pod. And uh, I think Kyle and I are potentially hanging out later tonight. So, see how that goes. Yeah, tonight. I was pushing for today, but he's like, I just can't do it, man. A lot of you guys just can't do it. Huh? What was the request? I think we both know what the request was. Come on up. I told him I'd come pick him up. Hit the frog. It wasn't about, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. It was, uh, it was a timing issue. <laughs> it was a t- it was- so Kyle, you invited Saruti to the frolic room yesterday and he couldn't go. I invited so him sensing- yesterday for today. And he was just like, yeah, I don't think like three o'clock's really my time. I was like, well, I mean, it's the best time. So what do you really have to do? And he couldn't really give me a straight answer. I just think he isn't like into, isn't into the three o'clock stop in, but I don't know. I told him I'd pick him up. We'll see what happens. So the invite was for three o'clock on a Wednesday. At the frolic, slow Wednesday to be, to be on. Let's be clear, it's a slow Wednesday. Slow Wednesday, and Saruti, you you couldn't go drink at a dive bar in the middle of the day at three o'clock on a Wednesday because why? <laughs> I mean, great question. I flew, I flew three thousand miles, you know, on you know on the Spotify dime on the Ringer dime. Like, I'm gonna go to the office. I'm gonna see people. I got. I don't know what my day is gonna be like. I got. <laughs> I'm just saying, if people are saying, "What are you doing today?" You could be like, "Well, I got a thing at three, but you know, maybe after." So you would suggest kind of joking, but not really. (laughs) Well, that's I think what we're trying to dig into here. Are you joking or are you serious? Well, I was seriously wondering. I'm just trying to help you, Kyle, on this one. Are you seriously wondering why Saruti couldn't go drink at three o'clock on a Wednesday? Well, I mean, drink it was is sort of like an ancillary to just you know catching up. It's like a yeah, it's like a catch up. You know, business late lunch, if you will. Yeah, you know, I'm not. It's it's just I. You know, I've got to show face. I've got to, there's other people in the office. Like I haven't talked. To I mean, Fantasy you saw yet. what Monday looks like. You saw what Monday in the office looks like. It is Wednesday. It is I've kind heard of Wednesdays day, popping. Yeah, it's going to be Wednesday's if popping. there was four people, you're going to maybe double that. I think. But you know, hey, I could be wrong. You let me know what happens, and and we'll Listen, talk. If, if if it's if it's a dead zone and I'm there sitting by myself, I I'll yeah. call you. Just you know speaking from experience at. here. That's all. Okay. All right. Excited to hang out just, though, dude. It's nothing <laughs> about just, you. It's not about you. <laughs> We're just sorting through it all. We're just sorting yeah. through it all. It's a big week, big week for the gang. Um, you know, I ate bad food last night. I had like a cheat meal to end all cheat meals. And now I was like, I'm glad I didn't make any plans because I feel, I think I'm more hungover after a bad meal than just being hungover. Yeah. So speaking yeah. of, uh, my mom thinks I'm an alcoholic. Hey, fellas, 5'9", 175, 27 years old. Former college frisbee player, so I'll spare you the lists and basketball comps. All right, that could oh, be a frisbee alert. player. No, well, I mean probably just club play team. All, Yeah, <laughs> you gonna leave with that? Okay. 
I, he might be fucking with us too, but we'll see. I was also we'll on a frisbee team in college. I didn't tell people though. <laughs> what, what do you mean you were on one in college? Yeah, we had like, an real frisbee team, but I, right, I would be like, hey, I'm Steve Strudy, 5'10, 160, like, you know, college frisbee player. You didn't have a, a Quinnipiac <laughs> frisbee shirt? I did not. Yeah, I did okay. not. And I wasn't, I was one of those guys that played frisbee, but didn't like telling other people I played frisbee. I just did it because my other buddies did. Um, you know, there's like a stigma that comes with it. I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, that fight. stigma can be a little deserved at time. Like when you I, showed yeah, up, I agree. Right, right. When you got to UVM early and you saw the guys that were like really into ultimate Frisbee the first week, you're like, wow, that guy really likes it, you know? So you had to play it cool. You had to play it cool a little bit. Like that looks like it's fun. Like, oh, decent athlete. Might be okay at that. Like, I like, I like guys, the what? idea of Frisbee golf too. Idea of banging chains. I've never part. done it. I've never done it, and I got to tell you, I'll I'll watch those videos. I don't close out right away. Those. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> good long what do we got going on here? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, some guys yeah. like he's he's in the middle of the forest, and somehow it's like curving around trees, and he just banks chance. Yeah, I, I love the it. idea that you can buy multiple discs, right, based on the shot, like off the tee. You just got to get one guy willing to put that thing in his car and go find a field. I mean, that guy. I hope. I hope that. I hope that duty changes. Otherwise, you're just the guy with that ridiculous thing in your sedan somehow. Yeah, there was some girl that was like trying to get a big following on Instagram with it. And I'll just leave it at that. But just the videos were really funny. Okay, there you go. Uh, family wedding this weekend in Tulum. I live in Brooklyn. Uh, it's for my older cousin. Very exciting for the family. First big wedding and the destination wedding should make for a great trip. My mom, lovely woman, is paying for most of the trip. But the bride's suggestion... Uh, my brother, cousin, and I paid for the all-inclusive package on top of what my mom booked. All right, so bride said, hey, the rest of you guys should do the all-inclusive. There's only one problem. Since I was in high school, my mom has been convinced I'm an alcoholic. To be fair to her, there were some nights in high school and college breaks that I might take back, and she never missed an opportunity to stay up late waiting for me to get home, but I most certainly don't have a drinking problem. But she's a Jewish mother who's a bit dramatic and enjoys micromanaging her two adult sons. I'm the only one that she's uh, that's picked up this rep, though. So now we're going to be with family for five days at an all-inclusive. I'm not worried about getting shit-faced or anything like that, but I can already hear that you're going to get another one from across the table when I order my second beer at dinner. <laughs> it's a small resort, and we have a small, small family, so uh, lots of time will be spent together. All that said, my mom is a fun hang and is going to be a great time, but any advice you have for how I can make it through the weekend picking up the least flack while still enjoying Tulum to the fullest is greatly appreciated. Love the pod. Um Anyway, okay, uh, yeah, tough spot for you, tough spot. Like, it's your mom, she's going to worry about you, you probably did some stupid shit when you were younger, um, and then she's never going to let those go. You know, older people, are, especially when it's like, you know, look, who cares about you more than your mom in your entire life? So even if you think, hey, when I came back from spring break and got shit-faced, like I remember one girl, like those first parties during Christmas break when you're away at college and you come back with your high school crew, those things are unhinged. Like those are as wild as like anything that I would ever have on my own resume. And then it's like you're this zombie, but you think it's normal because it's what your weekend deal is right. when you're at college. <laughs> and then you like give your family a little sampling of that up close and personal when you're a fucking zombie the whole like time. Like those Thanksgivings, on those Thursdays when you're young and you're coming back home for the first time. And like my family was ridiculous about it too. Like they would, they'd have dinner so early, so early to the point where I was like, I don't know, you know, whatever. So I get it. Um, the only thing I could do is what I did to my dad once I did it to my dad. And it was, uh, you know, it's, it's always tough. Like if your mom's not from a drinking family, like my family's not a drinking family. My dad doesn't drink. My mother doesn't drink. 
Um, it's not because they've had any, you know, issues that just, they just didn't, they just didn't do it. And so I'm being the oldest. Um, we had a setup where there was like a little, little, like, um, a weekend spot at home. Okay. It wasn't like a whole nother house on Martha's Vineyard, but it was this thing. And I helped renovate it when I had no money and, you know, I was, I was able to live there for a little bit. All right. So later on the place still existed and, you know, my sister would use it or whatever. And then would kind of just kind of get rotated around a little bit. And during my like late twenties years, I would come back and it'd be a Martha's Vineyard weekend. I'm living in Boston and it was on, it was on from the minute I stepped off the boat. Okay. I, Cause I'd be seeing my buddies from home. I'd see other guys that were summering there. It was an incredible like weekend. Now in my world, a guy in his twenties going, okay, cool. We're going to tear it up all weekend and this is what we're going to do. And I was only going to get like one or two of those all summer. And so I think after the first one, my father, I was like, Hey, can I get that? Can I, you know, I think I'm going to come back again in August. And he's like, what do you do? Get drunk, go out with your buddies the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, yep. And we're going to talk to girls and we're going to see how it goes. And then if it doesn't work out on Friday, we're doing it again Saturday. Cause that's what we do, man. Cause that's what we do. I go, it's not every night. It's not every weekend, but I bust my ass and this is the only thing I could really even afford. And I'm fired up to see my friends and going out and seeing my friends and trying to have an epic night is what we fucking do. I'm almost 30. So I don't know what to tell you anymore. He was like, Oh, okay. And he shrugged. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Cause I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take it anymore. And granted, you know, like anybody that's been in the game, you're going to give your parents a couple nights there where they're going to be like, what the fuck's this guy's deal? Because you're the only person that they care about. They're not comparing you to every one of your other friends who goes right. out every single weekend. They're not comparing you to the guy that's in your friend group of like, that guy's going out on Wednesdays by himself and drinking gin. Like, what the hell's going on? So there's no, like, there's no person that's ever going to be held to a lesser standard than you are. And the only way you could really handle it is... And by the way, Kyle, I don't think you're drinking gin on a Wednesday. So just no one, no one thinks that it's a Wednesday, Wednesday joke, Mulaney style. Um, yeah. <laughs> you may just have to one time tell her, be like, hey, it's bothering me a lot that you keep doing this to me. And it's going to impact my fun here. I understand why you're worried. I did fuck up a couple times. I don't know what else to tell you, but just you need to back off. And then you also need to not get shit faced at any point where then she can be like, you told me you weren't going to do this. And then she ends up. So like the anxiety of thinking you're getting judged the whole time can lead some people to end up drinking even more. So I'm just telling you maybe a stern rebuttal to mom in a way that it hasn't really ever happened before. will get her to just sort of go like, you know what, maybe I am calling this person out a little bit. But then don't give her any evidence at 27 that all of her concerns are warranted. So it's kind of a, you guys are going to be dueling all weekend. Yeah, I, I think get in front of it. Go ahead, Kyle. Think drinking problem or not, overbearing mom or not, you do have to clock yourself when it's all inclusive. That's just something I'm going to say outright. I think you should just just keep a, keep a small tally in the back of your head about what is going on. Uh, because it just sometimes it just feels like it's all good, but you don't know what you look like on the outside. Whether you, you know, it could get the best of even the best of us, is my point. But I think maybe I would treat this more like smoking cigarettes at home on the holidays. I think, um, 
not that you don't do it. People kind of get the idea, but it's not like, all right, I'm going out for a cigarette. I'll be back. You know, maybe I'll sneak one with Aunt Janice when she's in the driveway or something. But I think <laughs> like it's more like you don't have to not do it, but, you know, you don't have to get it from the dinner table to do it either. You know what I mean? So I think like I think you're going to have enough time where you're not with your mom all the time, especially if it's wedding weekend. Like there's, you know, stuff's happening. So I think it is a wedding, right? Is that is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it is a wedding. I think you could totally like you don't have to sneak it like you're 18, but I think there's you know, you get the idea. Maybe do have one with dinner. How long is dinner, bro? And then be like, hey, after dinner is when me and, you know, the cousins are going to go out and do it. You know, so I think I think I think that's probably easy, too. And then and then I think if it still is not enough, then I think you 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 do Ryan's deal. But I think you could just take that approach where it's just like, don't throw it in her face. You know, you know, it's not even like you're doing anything wrong, but she does think you are. So just like, you know, treat her like a mom and just, you know circumvent that if you can it's a big resort right big hotel you find your own place to smoke a cigarette so um i think um i think that's probably the best uh course of action and then if it really doesn't work try to you know maybe not while you're sampling the drinks maybe say something to your mom if it's like you know wednesday and this hasn't this hasn't worked out yeah so i come from a a family where you know if you're you turn 16 in a family party and like people are just looking the other way and you know that's cool. It's everyone's safe. It's fine. Like it's not. It's just not that big of a deal. So there's not really that stigma. My thing would be. So like I, I say that to say that I don't have a ton of experience in like having to sort of deal with this. Um, not that my parents like like to get after it, but you know, my dad was a big Bud Light guy. He just like drinking, you know, whatever. He just like that's what he does. Um, I would say this could be an opportunity for you though, because just don't be the worst person at the wedding sit at the weekend right great like call somebody else like let another yeah. cousin be a disaster give her a by comp and then by comparison she's like oh okay actually he's not that bad that's so what it looks like <laughs> i think i just just don't be the don't be the, the the most blackout guy you can get after you can have fun but do not go above that threshold let, let like let your cousin john be a disaster and that's the that's and she looks at that and goes oh my god at least my son isn't that guy so i think that's the play yeah, that was great, Saruti. Maybe that see was, if John needs really anything good. when you're going to the bank. You need anything right. for the bank? <laughs> but I mean, so it sounds like he, he does want to get in front of like being harassed the whole time. Like you're telling, you know, Saruti, you're telling me that the people look the other way with your 16th birthday. I'm telling you, my family looked at me twice at 46. <laughs> and I don't even drink with them like ever. We don't, our family functions, no one has ever been drunk at one of them ever. Okay. Nobody. Like, it just—it's just I didn't grow up with it. So when I hear about these other families, I'm like, oh, you have Easter. Be like, oh, this is gonna be just a march. And I'm like, your Easter's gonna be what? He's like, yeah, we all get shit faced. Like, you know, <laughs> two uncles fight, and yep. and I gotta go to work, and it's the worst. I'm hung over. The, I'm like, cause of Easter. I'm like, yeah. you guys do that on Easter? Like, what? And they're, then you know, and then I started realizing more often, like as I got older, I was like, oh wait, we're we're different. We don't do this. So I can understand like not wanting to be judged the whole time because uh, there's no comp, you know? So I love the comp idea. I would start firing, like just start asking these if they want fireball and then, or, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, he shorted us one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you take it. You take it. Yeah, no, you, you get me on the next one or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, I actually have, I've got to do an insulin thing later. So I can't really take it easy. <laughs> Like, wait what okay all right um that was that was really good that was really good okay so let's see uh this one sucks do i tell my fiance about the 80 percent loss i took in my roth ira well 
not telling you is not going to be great either. So 36, 510, about 175. No impressive gym stats in the moment. Mid-20s, I ran both TRT and HGH for a few years and got up to a lean 190, pressing 225, 15-plus times and could squat. Okay, got it. A uh, bit of a dilemma here. Six years ago, I began accumulating shares of a small biotech firm that had come across doing some big things in the wound care space. I began investing extra funds in a brokerage account. And then as the stock began to climb, I began to accumulate shares in a Roth IRA, thinking that when I eventually sold, I could avoid paying the taxes on the capital gains. Hmm. I got to the point uh, a few years back where I basically the entirety of my Roth IRA funds in this stock. Well, Nobody's, everybody's just going to tell you what you should have done, but that's what everybody does after the fact when you lose, uh, that it was all in this one thing. And then the price took a nasty turn based on a few bad quarters of revenue, and I held it all the way down. To date, I've lost about 8% of the money I've invested along with about 70% of my entire retirement portfolio. However, this is all on paper as I haven't sold. <laughs> of course you haven't. And the stock is actually planning to go public via SPAC before 2024 and it's turned around the past few quarters. It could bounce back the next six months. I'm getting married in early 24. And my fiance have had a high, oh, Jesus. Uh, I've had high level talks about finances, but haven't gotten into the nitty gritty other than the this Roth IRA debacle. I'm perfectly fine financially as I have a 401k that I contribute to as well as a $50,000 in savings to cover house, down payment, et cetera. Her and I both make over six figures. And while we live in an expensive metro, uh, major metro area, we live within our means and are aligned in how we spend money. However, she's recently made uh, comments about wanting to dig deeper into our combined finances as we, get, uh, as we begin to plan for a family house, et cetera. My question is, do I tell her about this Roth IRA debacle now, knowing that it will most likely come up in the, uh, in the near future, or do I wait and see what the stock does after it goes public this year? Or is this my cross to bear entirely, and do I avoid burdening her with all this unfortunate circumstance? While I know she won't be happy, there's a 1% chance this ruins the marriage plans. Well, look, you're not married yet, and I know you've been talking about it. My advice may be atrocious on this one, and everybody's going to have, some people are going to agree with me now. I, I wouldn't. I mean, you're not married yet, you're getting married pretty soon. You know, the finances thing can be weird. Like I remember one of my friends, pretty successful guy, was dating a lot younger girl and she was gorgeous. And we were like, man, what a score. And then I thought they were engaged and they were going to get married and then they broke up. And I'm like, what happened? He goes, she had all these uh, student loans in default or credit was shit. He's like, so we were never going to have an easy go of it for years and years and years. I'm like, so you broke up with her because of that? I don't think I would ever do that, even though it would make sense and it makes sense for somebody else to do it. I don't think I would do it. Um, you know, if she came to me and said, hey, I fucked up on this biotech thing. Look, I've done this, by the way, ton of money in one thing, one little piece of bad news, you know, somebody arguing something that's pandering that's not really going to happen and all of a sudden this one sector is getting worked and everything's guilty by association and you're losing all this money on paper overnight like it's an awful awful fucking feeling and then you can get really stubborn as you are as i did where you're like well i'll just wait for it all to come back and in my case like one thing came back and then another thing i was forced to sell because i had to do something else for somebody in the family so um this isn't fun and it's it's weird. It's like a it's an awful mental hangover. This is going to kind of linger, and it's going to be make you sick to your stomach. And then you have to either not invest ever again, or get so desensitized that you just see numbers moving around, and um, it just doesn't affect you anymore. It's a bit like relationships or losing a job. We still talk about building up that scar tissue. If you're going to be playing this game and investing a lot, 
you need to build up that scar tissue to just get emotionless about these transactions. But now you have somebody else kind of asking you what your deal is. So I need to know like what the raw figure is. Like, is it a hundred grand down to 10? Did she think you had this hundred grand? Does she not know anything about it? Like, I don't know. I think I would, I mean, you're not selling yourself as if you're this multimillionaire. The rest of the stuff seems to be buttoned up a little bit here. I'm just wondering like what were her expectations that you had this other money? And if it was in a Roth, it wasn't like, you know, I don't know all the Roth rules, even though I have one. Um, there's, I, I don't know that it's necessarily like her right to get super pissed at you about this, even if at some point you get married and you're like, actually I have way less money. You know, I would just present it this way. I would be like, as you get closer to it and you go like, just so we're clear financially, kind of this is where we both stand. And like, I ended up losing some money on this one, um, but I'm, I'm keeping the position because we'll see what happens because at this point, selling it for the loss isn't really going to make any sense anyway. Um, I just don't know how much money that you have that's that's even in this account that specific to this stock is still at risk with the whole thing. Because some of the people would be like, hey, give up, it's over. And the, But you know, none of us, I don't know what the company is. The other people commenting don't know the company is. So because you're not married, I think you have a little bit more leeway with this, but it's really going to be up to her how pissed she wants to be. And I would reverse it. Like if somebody did this where I was about to marry them and they were like, hey, I actually I'm coming to the table with like 90 less grand, but everything else is decent and I have a good job. Like, I don't know. Like, I think I'd be a dick for being like, I can't believe you. I can't believe like people lose fucking money. People fuck up. Stuff happens. And unfortunately, you're going through it right now. But I don't know that you have the same responsibility as you would say a couple years into the marriage or actually just being married. But I'm sure people are going to tell me I'm totally wrong about that. Dude still has a 401k though, right? It's not like <laughs> boom. It's like Kyle. he gambled all the shit. It's not like uh, you know, he gambled all the shit at the track or something. Like he's still doing the right thing. They're both making six figures, which puts it way above like a middle America. Not saying that's what you should shoot for, but you're already like, that's okay. And I would honestly, I don't think it's that big of a deal that, you know, wait till she brings it up again when you want to dig into the finances, but I don't like I don't know. I think you'd have to have a lot of fucking nerve to be like, oh, your second retirement thing isn't as great as it was. And now I'm not sure about all this. So, uh, I mean, like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be jumping to tell her. But the next time she wants to, you know, really talk about it, be like, all right, well, here's what I got. Here's what I got. This one took is dinged a little bit, but it's not real to you sell whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to however you want to uh, pitch that. But I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, does she have a retirement? Are you guys putting together three or four? Does she have a Roth and a 401k too? Like if you've got four things coming together, you're already way ahead of the game. I forget how old this guy is, but if he's even, if he's in his early thirties, late twenties, I think everything's going super well just because it's not going perfect. I wouldn't be like, is the wedding going to be off? So, um, you haven't done anything dishonest. Um, and I don't think it's something you have to really hide. Maybe you'd want to get it out there before the wedding but i'm sure if, if you guys are really planning a wedding this is going to come up anyway just like where are we at financially where are you at that's what's going on how's your college stuff going i think that's all going to come up and you could just be like oh i'm still waiting to bounce back but you know here's where we're at i don't think that's a big problem yeah i don't i don't think you uh i don't think you 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 messed like if, if she's gonna break up with you or call off the wedding like you kind of have to tell her like i you don't want to like go through with the marriage and then be like hey, you yeah, lose actually, more, right? <laughs> actually by the way and then, yeah, because that's a disaster. I think that it's like a balancing act. Like, how long can you wait until this thing goes public and then you can kind of see how it's doing? And, like, is that close to when you're potentially going to be getting married? Like, what's the timeline there? I would I would just kind of, you have to weigh those options. So I think you have to tell her before you get married, but I would wait as long as I can to actually have a real good grasp of what you're going to tell her or what, like, you know, how bad or good the news is. 
And this topic will officially come up, right? Why why are you can't you just wait until that? Well, I, there's a couple things at play here as I'm, I keep thinking about this. One is this guy's such like a trustworthy person, you know, or his morals in the best place ever that he feels guilt for something others wouldn't feel guilt for, right? Or is he basically hinting at us that she might be a little difficult and that he already knows this could be a problem and that's why he's asking like how it should play out. Well, I 1% is really low. 1% is like anyone could have a terrible reaction. If he said like 20%, then I think that's a giveaway. But one is the smallest number that you could say if there's a 1% chance that she could end this whole thing like that. It's also the loneliest number. But um, <laughs> if and there's another thing too that I wonder like, this might be an opportunity for like the soft sell of your story to her where you're kind of getting close to like talking about finances. Maybe she brings up the finances again and you're like, yeah, well, a lot of it depends on kind of how the stock is doing. Like I'd switch over some stuff and whatever. And she's like, well, what do you mean? What did you do? Now, what I wonder is, are you talking about what you lost out of pocket or what you lost on an imaginary app where it set a really cool number for a long time and then the number has just been slowly declining for months? Because that's a horrible feeling. But is it what you really lost out of pocket or is it what you lost in a pretend version where you were going to sell it at its absolute peak and nail it, which nobody does, unless you just get really lucky uh, and make the right call at the right time? So, you know, did you, let's, if we're just saying raw numbers here, did you have 10, 20 grand invested in this and you made it into 50, 60 and now it's back to like 10? So you feel like you've lost that 50 grand? So there could be a way where you're saying, well, yeah, man, like I was really rolling with this one thing, but then, you know, it's kind of been on the decline, but it's going to go public. So we'll kind of see. And you're like, you know, if it does well, if it bounces back a little bit, like we'll have a little, few more opportunities. Then you can <laughs> you root know, together. You're, 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 yeah, you're making it sound like, hey, we've got this potential great positive news that's coming up. Now, if her first thing is like, wait, you lost 40 grand. And you're like, well, I lost 40 grand on paper. But like, that's how investing can work. Where I picked something, it doubled. And now it's back to where I bought it. Unless you're totally in the red, out of pocket, then that's a different conversation. But I think you could soft sell a little bit. Now, if she really understands that, the, the IRAs and Roth IRA stuff and the capital gains the short term and the long term. And like she knows all that stuff. But again, it depends on how long you were holding it for any of the short term stuff, uh, short term stuff to kick in. I. I don't know. I mean, is she going to know? But like, wait a minute, it's one thing for you to have bought it and then done well, but then you you transferred it in to avoid the taxes. She's like, what but kind now, of idiot? <laughs> yeah, you weren't diversified at all. And this is a retirement account and this is for both of us. And she knew more about then uh, good luck, man. I don't know what to tell you with that. If, if you've got somebody just fucking hammering away at your whole plan there, because I'm sure a lot of people will listen to this be like, well, you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done that. Whatever. Okay, cool. Right. Save that, by the way. Thank you for all of the <laughs> advice after it Say happened. That. Um, yeah, I think there's a way to soft sell it on this one where it's not like you just lost 50 grand on the Broncos. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Take your time. So good luck, man. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Again, we'll be live from Manhattan Beach, 900 Club. We have a really cool guest list. Craig Kilborn, Austin Reeves of the Lakers, Richard Jefferson. So we're going to take that pod and then release it, but not on Friday. We're going to have Willie Colon and Friday feedback on Friday's episode. And then that way you're going to get like extra tidbits of what happened from the live show. So that way we don't miss any shows and you still don't feel like you're left out because the venue is very small. There are no tickets. First come, first serve. We'll see what happens. We will talk to you on Friday.
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 800 8 hope ny or text hope ny in new york